phone, your camera, whatever, um, the uh, ministry compound in Burma uh, took a couple of mortar rounds. <laughs> and um, yeah, pretty, uh, thankfully nobody, glory to God, nobody was injured, but did some damage uh, to the property and, and to the uh, the wall. And, um, and so um, Rick and Angie, uh, our champions there, they asked, that we agree with them in three distinct areas that a dome of protection would be over their property and ministry there, bloodline drawn, um, that our campus is invisible and of no interest to the enemy. Amen. Remember when Moses stood before Pharaoh making all kinds of demands and bringing all kinds of judgment from God upon Egypt, Pharaoh could not form the thought in his mind to just kill Moses, right? He was covered with supernatural protection. And then ultimately an end to the military rule in Myanmar. And so Myanmar and Burma are the exact same countries. It was Burma when it was under British rule, and now it's, um, it's Myanmar. And so, um, amen. Father, we just agree together tonight as a family of faith. Lord, you said where two or three agree together concerning anything, Father, that it's done, shall be done. And so, Lord, we set ourselves in agreement, first of all, with you and your word, and then also in agreement with Rick and Angie, who are in agreement with you and your word, Father. So many people agreeing for a dome of protection to be over the ministry and all those that are connected with it and associated with it there in Burma. Father, that their campus and their ministry, and Lord, the ministry is more than buildings, the ministry is more than property, the ministry is is more than um, all those things, Father. It's not an orphanage. It's the it's the motherless and fatherless children, Lord, who are cared for there. It's all that you're doing there, the ministry grounds, the school, the church, Father. So, Lord, not just the building where these things are taking place, but the people also, Lord, who are a part of these uh, uh, different uh, facets of the ministry. We thank you, Lord, for your protection uh, over them. And, Father, ultimately, that that campus would be invisible and of no interest um, to the enemy, Father. It's just any time they draw near it, Lord, it, it, would, it, would all, it would be as if they don't even know it's there. Um, and, Lord, that there would be an end to the military rule in Myanmar. Uh, Father, that um, the, the wickedness and the evil and the tyranny, Father, uh, would um, come to an end and that righteousness and peace and justice would prevail in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So you continue to pray for our family of faith there, and we believe God for good things for them. Amen. All right, so let's jump in here. Jesus came to take away sin, and being forgiven for sin is important, but taking it away is something far better. I was meditating on this part some more today, and the Lord took me back to my marriage to Pam in the sense that God has made us one by a blood covenant before him and that position of oneness that we have with one another is is spiritual union it's it's divine it's miraculous Um, but over our 37 years of marriage together 37 plus now um, there are things that I have done that she has forgiven me for and there are things that she has done that I've forgiven her for. And I think sometimes when we think in terms of forgiveness, the Bible says to born-again believers that if we commit a sin to confess our sin and that God will be faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And you say, well, 
How can he forgive you for something that's already been taken away? The, the reason Pam and I are quick to forgive if there's any potential offense between us is because unresolved issues and offenses can hinder our fellowship with one another. Now, another way to illustrate this would be what Jesus used in the Scriptures, and that would be uh, sonship, being a son of God. And you know, not that I ever would, and thank God you know, for the wonderful fellowship that I enjoy with my mom and dad, but you realize there is nothing that I could ever do in a negative sense that would make me no longer their son. I'm, I'm their son not because of my good behavior or my bad behavior. I'm their son because I was born of their seed. But let's say I did something to offend my earthly father. Well, I would want to go to him and ask him to forgive me so that there would not be anything between us that would hinder our fellowship with one another. And so when it comes to our being made one with God by the blood of Jesus, we have that position of oneness, not based upon our good behavior or our bad behavior. It's based upon Jesus's behavior, not what you do, good or bad, but what Jesus did for you and then what he has made you through the new birth. We were born again of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. And through that experience, we became sons and daughters of God. We became the offspring of God in the earth. And nothing can ever change that. Nothing could ever change that. But when we go from that, and I know some of you are new to the study, we've, we've talked about this oneness and fellowship with God, this what the Bible calls reconciliation with God. It has you know, these two different arms, or these two different branches. You've got the positional oneness, but then you've got the functional oneness. And so if you've been born again, your sin's been taken away, never to be held against you, and, and it's impossible for that sin to ever separate you from God again. But when it comes to making a mistake, committing a sin, we, we ask God for forgiveness for the purpose of keeping things uh, open between us. We don't want to, you know, unresolved issues, uh, sin that we allow to linger will begin to harden our hearts and, and cause us to be less and less sensitive to Him and to His leading and His prompting. Uh, we can commit sin as born-again believers, and it won't separate us from God, but it can still have negative consequences in our lives. And any parent in the room that has children, if your children make a bad decision and that bad decision has negative consequences in their lives, in, in some cases it can affect you and hurt you as much as it affects them and hurts them. But it doesn't change the fact that they're still your child. Amen. And so taking away sin and the forgiveness of sin are certainly related and they work together. But as born-again believers, Jesus didn't just come to forgive us. He came to take our sin away. We could say it this way. Jesus came to separate you and me from the sin that separated us from God. Now, we see this in other places. John chapter 1, verse 29 uh, declares that the Lamb of God, Jesus, came to take away the sins of the world. Paul quotes from Isaiah 27, 9 in Romans eleven twenty seven. I'll put that one on the screen. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. One of the eye-opening things for me in this current part of our study is how frequently we see everlasting righteousness, eternal salvation, putting away and bringing an end of sin. These things were prophesied in the Old Testament 
speaking to what Jesus would do for us in, in, in the future. And of course, we live on the other side of Him going to the cross and to death, hell, and the grave and being raised again on the third day. So when Paul quotes this by the Holy Spirit in Romans chapter 11, verse 27, he's actually, uh, uh, when Paul writes this, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 27 in verse number 9. Then again we see in 1 John 3 and 5, And you know that He, Jesus, was manifested to do what? To take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. He then goes a step further in Hebrews 9 and 25, and we've looked at that the last couple of weeks, where it says He didn't just take away sin, but He put it away. He put it away. And to put it away means to abolish, to annul, to treat as non-existent, to treat as non-existent. And the desire your Heavenly Father has had um, where you and I are concerned is to be able to treat us like our sin never happened, to treat us as if sin is no longer a factor or an issue, or to treat you and me as our sin being non-existent. And that is exactly, that is exactly the luxury Jesus' sacrifice afforded our Heavenly Father. To abolish means to completely do away with something. To annul it means to make ineffective or non-existent by official or legal action. By official or legal action. And that last phrase is extremely important because what Jesus did for us by taking the blame and punishment for our sin means that our sin in, in its entirety has already been judged and punished and that punishment was carried out and bore by Jesus Himself so that we can be free from that eternal punishment and damnation. Now, let's, um, let's do this. Praise God. We spent a few minutes last week in I want us to do that again in John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17, and I'll put them on the screen. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So the promise is everlasting life. The promise is eternal life. This is what Jesus came to give to you and me. And in order to give eternal life to you and me, He had to, first of all, bring us back from the dead because the wages of sin is death. So I wanted to circle back to this this evening and remind you in light of these verses that death is separation and sin is what produces the death slash separation. 
To, to be spiritually dead means to be separated from God. What separates a man or woman from God? Sin is what separates a man or a woman from God. So how could God not only promise, but actually give with the result of you now have eternal life or everlasting life? How, how, how is that um, possible? Well, because death is the opposite of life. Death is separation. So life then is union. The only way we could have eternal life is to have eternal union with God. Amen. And of course, we see this in other places in the scripture. John 17, where Jesus said, this is eternal life. That they may know you intimately. That they may know you in in oneness uh, father, and not just the Father, but the Son whom the Father has sent. So here is a, a simple statement. Eternal life is not possible without eternal union. A lot of people can quote John 3.16. And being able to quote it or at least understand, you know, that because God loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, and that, you know, whosoever believed in Him should not perish, should, should not die should not experience death because Jesus did what? Jesus experienced death for us. He experienced death for us. Because of what Jesus did for us, your sin, my sin, has already separated somebody from God on your behalf. This is why our sin can't separate us from Him anymore. Come on, I get excited about that every time I talk about it, all right? So the cost or price associated with sin is death. Are you, are you seeing this? Let, let, me, let me kind of step back, and, and I know I've mentioned this kind of off and on throughout our current study, but what I believe the Holy Spirit is wanting us to understand is the uh, basis for these things. That, yes, you know, God has done it. Yes, God has given it to us. And if you are born again, listen to me now, if you are born again, you have eternal life now. This is not one of those things where, you know, somebody passes away and, you know, unexpectedly or whatever. And it's like, you know, the angels go into panic mode. Hey, we got to get some eternal life down here. Hurry. No, you, you have eternal life right now. That's why to be separated from your body, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you're here and nobody is at home in your house, your house is, is empty right now. You are absent from your house. You are present in this room. Your earthly body, the Bible calls it a tent. To be absent from your tent is to be present with the Lord for a born-again believer. Because physical death also means separation. It's when the spirit and soul separate from the physical body. Spiritual death is when the spirit separates from God who is a spirit. So the cost or price associated with sin then is death. Jesus paid the price for us, making it so that our sin would not cause separation and death from our Father ever again. This is the only way that he could literally say, or not only promise, I know that we, it says here that he's promised eternal life, but not just promise it to us. It was a promise before um, it was available. It was promised to the people who lived in the Old Testament and, and heard the prophets speak of it, and they were looking ahead to it, but did not yet have access to the eternal life. Now, it's not just a promise for you and me, it's a reality for you and me. And I think sometimes we just 
I don't know, not the right word here. Take it for granted. Let's, maybe that's a way of saying it. We just kind of take it for granted. We've got eternal life. Why do we have eternal life? Why do we have, we have eternal life? Because what brought death has been dealt with. What separated us from God and caused death, we've been separated from that. We've been separated from the sin that separated us from God. We can say it another way. We've been separated from the thing that killed us or that brought spiritual death to us. Now, temporary and eternal are obviously not the same thing. But I think it's important for us to make the distinction Temporary is opposite to eternal in the same way that darkness is opposite to light. We're talking about something on, you know, a different uh, ends of the spectrum. And we see (laughs) that God chose to use the words eternal, the words everlasting, the words never um, quite frequently and these are words that he means. If it says eternal, it means eternal. If it says temporary, it means temporary. And so temporary means lasting only for a period of time. Something that's not permanent. Lasting, existing, or effective for a limited time only. Eternal, on the other hand, means never-ending, never-changing, continuing forever without interruption. So if we look at several of the verses that we have broken down and studied over the last few weeks, we come to this conclusion. Because our eternal salvation was purchased by eternal redemption, we now have eternal life And eternal inheritance. The life couldn't be eternal. The inheritance couldn't be eternal. If the redemption and the salvation were not eternal. You can't have one without the other. Are you seeing this? You can't have one without the other. So this is why we've said again, eternal life is not possible without eternal union. So what is at the heart then of our eternal union with God? How can we have a union with God that can't be broken? How can we have an, an eternal uh, a union with God that can't be severed or separated? The only way that's possible is if Jesus has already paid in advance for any sin that would potentially separate you from God in the future. Apart from apart from that. There is no other way. Now, in the coming days, we're going we're gonna to take another step in this because how many of you know God doesn't halfway do things? God doesn't only, you know, not only does He not do things halfway, He does things more than all the way, right? For example, when it comes to you being his son, he has made you his son, even if you're a female, and I don't want to get too deep into that, but you have the status of a son, male and female created he them. He made you his son by birth and adoption. You've been born of his seed, and now he has put a spirit of adoption in you. 
Either one of them would have been enough, but again, God doesn't just barely enough. He's the God of more than enough. Amen? He's the God of more than enough. So we see then that Father's desire to have unbroken fellowship with you meant he had to pay for your sin before you committed it. It's the only way to keep your sin from separating you from himself. But then he took it one step further. He made you his child, born of his seed. And once you've been born of his seed, you can never reverse that. This is why Jesus said to people, if you let me make you my father's son, you will abide in his, in his house forever. You will abide in the father's house forever. Okay? Because again, if you go back to where we started, and Jesus gave us this in Luke the 15th chapter. A son can take half his father's possessions and go waste them with the worst kind of behavior, the most shameful behavior deny his father, leave his father, turn his back on his father, walk away from his father, do some of the most shameful things that a person can do, it'll never change the fact that he's still born of that man's seed. He's still that man's son. And of course we're talking about the younger brother and the parable of the man who had two sons. And so then he comes home, he's not thinking like a son, but that father's thinking like a father. He's, he's still his son. You can't change that. And there's the father wants us to be in unbroken fellowship with him. What separates a fellowship? Well, what celebrates, what celebrates, what breaks the union? Um, it's sin. Well, people gonna choose to sin. So Jesus said, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just go ahead and take the blame and punishment for all sin. But then he took the next step of, and, and they're going to at the same time be born of my seed, which is going to make them mine forever. It's going to give them union with me forever. Are you seeing this? Sweet Jesus. We're going to talk some more about that. I'm, I, I'm, I want to tear off down that road for a minute, but let me stay focused on what we got for tonight for a few more minutes, okay? So, because our eternal salvation was purchased by eternal redemption. Redemption is the price paid to bring a slave out of slavery, to bring a prisoner out of, from behind bars. And Jesus has redeemed us. He has paid the penalty. He's paid the price. He's paid for our freedom. He's, pre- he's paid so that we could be free from sin. Not with a temporary payment. With an eternal payment. If the salvation is going to be eternal, the payment that provides the salvation has to be eternal. Temporary redemption can at best, can at best provide temporary salvation. Are you seeing this? But because the payment is eternal, the privileges that come with the payment are also eternal. So we now have Eternal life and eternal inheritance. Remember again, eternal is never ending, never changing, continuing forever without, in, without interruption. Now, 
The other side of this coin is the problem that Jesus came to solve for you and me was an eternal problem. The problem Jesus came to solve for you and me was an eternal problem. What what do we mean by that? Our sin problem wasn't temporary. It wasn't like, you know, we had a sin problem that separated us from God, but we were getting better. You could live 15 lifetimes and not be better enough, get better enough. In other words, we, we, and there's all kinds of beautiful ways the Holy Spirit has spoken this through, through men and women of old. But, but you know, basically we, we were without hope. We, we were lost and we had no way of ever getting back to where God wanted us to be. And yet Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But again, to seek and to save that which was lost temporarily? No, the salvation that Jesus came When he found you to save you, it was an eternal salvation. So, let's do this, all right? Um, Last week we talked about salvation has its privileges, and that was the title of the sermon last week. And to simplify these things and make them more understandable, we said the privileges of salvation are called inheritance. You're... Your inheritance is what belongs to you because of who you are. Jesus has made you something that has qualified you and made you his heir. You're his legal heir. When we we go back to that word abrogate and abolish and annul, remember it, it wasn't just, you know, by administrative sleight of hand. It wasn't being swept under the rug. This was done out in the open for everybody to see, for the devils in hell to see. Uh, remember when Paul's before King Agrippa? He's like, surely you know what I'm talking about, King Agrippa, because none of this was done in a corner. It was out in the open for everybody to know about and to see. And now I'm here explaining to you, if you don't know already, if you haven't put it all together, um, this, is, this is what it, it has accomplished. So the privileges of salvation are called our inheritance. We are by both birth and adoption children of God. And part of the adoption part is when a man would adopt a son back in their times to prevent him from just adopting a whole bunch of orphan boys to really make them free labor or slave labor but call them sons that that man, that head of household, was required to make the adopted son equal to the firstborn son. Make him a joint heir, a co-heir. With the, because in those days, the firstborn son got the majority of the inheritance. And they did that to, you know, try to keep the family holding strong, the family name strong. If you, you know, a lot of times they would have a lot of children in those days... And if you took a fairly large estate and divided it equally 12 ways and then took those portions, and next thing you know, it's just everybody's got, you know, a half acre. And, and it was an agricultural society and farming and uh, shepherding and all those things, right? So the firstborn son would get the majority of the inheritance. But if you adopted a son, so this is the thing, when, when we've been born of his seed and adopted, 
This is what makes us, sure enough, his offspring, but it also makes us an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. We can say it this way, best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. You may have been the 17 billionth person that has been born again since Jesus died on the cross. Remember, there's a lot of folks that were being held in Sheol and Jesus went and preached to them and they said yes and got born again. And So we don't know how many. There's a bunch of folks, right? Praise God. But you're still a joint heir with Jesus instead of way, way, way down the family tree. So privileges of salvation are called inheritance. Born again men and women are sons and daughters of God. Being a son and daughter of God makes you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And this is what legally, again, the word here is legal action. This is, this is what legally makes you an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. We talked last week about this whole mem- membership concept where, you know, say you're a member of a gym and you know, you enjoy the privileges uh, and access and benefits of gym membership as long as you pay the monthly fee. And a lot of people think that's how it works in the kingdom. As long as you stay paid up, then, you know, God will help you and God will bless you. But if you ever get behind, you know, you're, you're sunk, okay? No, see, that would be this concept that your salvation could somehow lapse that it could somehow you know, lose its effectiveness or what have you. No, you, you can live short of the benefits that belong to you as a child of God, but Father never takes them back. We're going to look at a verse here in just a minute that supports that. Your salvation cannot lapse because it is not based upon, nor, is it, nor does it depend upon your ability to keep it current. Remember we compared paying the monthly fee to a lifetime membership paid in advance. So let's nail it down tonight. The privileges of salvation are without price. They're, they're priceless. And there is no greater privilege available to man than to have oneness and fellowship with God. And we have established from the scriptures that oneness and fellowship with God is not possible apart from right standing with God. Are you following me? See, again, this is... You know, the, the Bible's clear about it. We, we have fellowship, same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus. And that's true. But, but why is that? Why, how could we, you know, be given such an, an honor, such a privilege, such access? Well, again, it goes back to what Jesus has done for us. You can't have the fellowship without the standing. And the fellowship can't be eternal and impossible to break unless the standing is eternal and impossible to change. Amen? So, I know that, you know, you guys and gals on Wednesday night, y'all are, y'all are all in and, you know, could stand up in this pulpit and, and preach. I know you understand this, but you, you could not afford one payment to make yourself righteous. And no other payments are owed to maintain your righteousness. Do you know what I'm saying here? You couldn't afford the payment. This idea that we've, we've got to somehow earn our keep. and I'm not, listen, please, we're going to dig into this if we have time. Praise God. We've got a few more minutes. Yikes. Remember, and I keep hammering these things and hammering these things and hammering these things. 
Your standing with God is not based upon your behavior or your performance, but your rewards are. Your rewards are. So this isn't an open invitation to just, you know, uh, ride the pine until it's, uh, it's, it's going home time. But we have to lose this idea that we're somehow, well, let's go back to that younger brother. He didn't want to be his father's son. He wanted him to make him a servant so that he could work and earn his way back into right standing with his father. Instead of submitting himself and humbling himself and receiving the gift of right standing that his father was giving to him, he instead wanted to become a slave, become like a servant, and work and earn his way back in. So that's impossible, first of all. It's not, it's not pleasing to God. It's not what God wants. It'll never work on top of all of that. But, but even, even if God said, okay, well, I'll let you try, you can't afford the payment to make yourself righteous. And no other payments, by the way, are owed to maintain your righteousness. Salvation and right standing with God are not for sale and cannot be earned. They are received as a free gift. And we see this in Romans 5 and 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive, come on now, abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, those, will, those men and women will do what? They will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, here is a really, really important verse. It's a short verse. The King James Version is when I first memorized this verse. The King James Version says, For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. The gifts and callings of God without repentance. The New King James Version breaks that down a little further. And it says that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable irrevocable. And I have a tendency to put an S on callings, uh, on calling and say callings, but it's calling. And what is the ultimate calling? The ultimate calling is we've been called into the same fellowship with God the Father as Jesus the Son. This is the call of God. This is the ultimate call of God. You, you may be called to minister. You may be called to, 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 to serve in some other capacity. You may be called to be an, an accountant or an administrator or a bricklayer or, or, or what have you. Okay, um, and, and I believe, again, all labor done as unto the Lord is pleasing to God. And he gifts and equips each of us in, 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 in different ways. And, and, and thank God for that. Okay, um, But... You will never be the bricklayer Father God intends for you to be unless you answer the call to fellowship with Him, right? Your number one purpose and calling in life is fellowship with God. All other purposes, all other callings, all other endeavors are not only secondary to that number one call, they're dependent upon it. Meaning what? Meaning as you fellowship with God, you become a better husband, a better wife, a better mother, a better uh, father, a better child, a better son, a better daughter, a better everything. Amen. Now, irrevocable again is often translated without repentance. But if I could, and I'll put this on the screen, then we'll pray. Um, This is from the Complete Word Study Dictionary New Testament. And it, it was just so well worded, I just said, you know what, I'm going to copy and paste, give them credit, and put it up on the screen. So the word that's irrevocable in the New King James, without repentance, which is two words to define one word in the original language, is the word ama 
Tamalitos, if I'm saying that correctly. I'll put it up on the screen. But let me read this to you. Praise God. The translation of Amatamalitos, without repentance, is very inadequate. It would have been better translated without regret. What the apostle is saying here is that when God has given gifts to men and has extended his salvation to them, come on now, he never regrets the extension of his grace or changes his mind as having made a mistake because of the behavior of the ones that he saved and gifted. Salvation should never be considered as merely man's decision to follow Christ but also God's acceptance of the genuineness of that decision and the birth and existence of faith. Wow, praise God. Stand with me. Sounds a whole lot like Hebrews 2.11, doesn't it? For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren because he does not regret giving you the gift that made you a child of God. Amen. Amen. It's one of these key areas where we think God thinks and operates like men. Because men can give you stuff and take it back. Men can say nice things about you one day and three days later say just the opposite about you. Promise you one thing and do another. And somehow we've got in our heads that God works this way. And that is not how He works. He doesn't give you something and then take it back. And, and that's all the way up to the greatest gift of all, which is the abundance of grace and the gift of right standing with God. If that's a gift, does God take gifts back? Does He, does he revoke them? Does, does He regret giving them? No. 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 Amen. So, eternal right standing. Eternal right standing because of eternal salvation purchased by eternal redemption, eternal life, and eternal inheritance. Amen. Without end, without change, without interruption. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for what you've given to us. Thank you for who you've made us. Thank you for what you have said about us. Words of spirit, words of life. Words, Father, that are as true now as they were a hundred thousand years ago or however long back you set them before the foundations of the world and they'll be just as true a hundred thousand years uh, in the future because you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And certainly, Father, if we thought like men and if you thought like, like, like a man, like a human being, then I would imagine most people in this room, if not all of us, Father, have said things and done things and behaved in certain ways since we were born again that that would make you want to regret doing what you've done for us. But yet, Father, you, you don't regret it at all. You don't regret it at all. You love us. You have a long-term, long-range plan for us. You have committed yourself to us. You began a good work in us. And you have promised to be faithful to complete it all the way to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Father, help us have confidence 
in you and in who we are in you. Confidence in your love for us because the deeper understanding we have and revelation we have of your love for us, Father, the less fear, the less the grip of fear has on us. And so, Father, we rejoice. We rejoice in the beauty of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank, I, I know I say that. I know it's just probably something y'all think I say every time by habit. No. Thank you for being here. I am so grateful for your faithfulness and for the opportunity to share the Word of God with you on these Wednesday nights. You have a wonderful uh, evening. I'll see some of you tomorrow.